0: and welcome to day one of ULAR 2021. My name is Professor Douglas Veal. I'm professor of medicine, a consultant rheumatologist from University College Dublin. Today, the ULR 2021 virtual congress got underway and I'd like to review what I felt were some of the key sessions and papers of interest from the CSF perspective. There were some terrific sessions today covering recommendations, real world data, clinical results in RA and other indications such as psoriatic arthritis, as well as discussions on difficult treat patients and pain, and of course, don't forget uh, COVID. The CSF's own Professor Ian McKinnis, opened the Congress with an insight into the work that EULAR has been doing over the past year. It was fascinating to hear Ian's perspective uh, and that of the role of EULAR Uh, as it played out in response to the COVID uh, crisis. It has been a remarkable success in advocacy in favor of people with rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases, which at the end of the day is who we practice medicine for. Ian also discussed the ongoing success of the ULAR School, the ULAR Research Center, and the new agenda for gender equality in academic rheumatology in Europe. It was a great session and definitely one to catch up on if you missed it. Following Ian's opening session, the scientific program got underway with the ULA recommendations session. Here, uh, Robert Landway provided an update on the recommendations on the management of rheumatic musculoskeletal diseases in the context of the SARS-CoV-2. And Dr. Alessio Aluno, presented the points to consider on COVID-19 pathophysiology and immunomodulatory therapies from a rheumatology perspective. Both of these sessions were very informative presentations and I think very pertinent to our own practice. In relation to the real world data, which is where we practice rheumatology on a day-to-day basis, there was a wealth of real world data at this year's Congress And I've selected three posters from today's sessions that I found particularly interesting. The first is also one of the chairman's picks from day one and is from Gilbert and colleagues who examined the real world effectiveness of baricitinib in the Swiss rheumatoid arthritis registry. This registry examines over a thousand rheumatoid arthritis patients treated between 2017 and 2020 and looks at outcome measures including drug maintenance over time and response rates at 12 months. Interestingly, this poster shows that drug maintenance is significantly shorter for TNF inhibitors compared to baricitinib, but not for the patients treated with OMA compared to Barry. So the differences were larger for the biologic uh, DMARD naive patients and, rates of low disease activity and remission did not differ significantly between groups at 12 months. So in conclusion, treatment with baricitinib after a conventional DMARD had at least similar outcomes as alternative biologic DMARDs. From Switzerland, we moved to Argentina and a poster from uh, Ramira Gomez and colleagues that described the effectiveness of tofacitinib in patients with rheumatoid arthritis from multiple public and private uh, treatment centers. This was a retrospective observational study uh, looking at over 160 patients from 10 medical centers across Argentina. They looked at a number of outcome measures, including disease activity, Uh, both uh, MTX and PDN use and also prognostic factors for uh, clinical remission at three months and TOFA monotherapy at 12 months. The results uh, showed significant reduction in disease activity and uh, MTX and PDN requirement with TOFA. Remission significantly increased from baseline to month three and month six, and previous biologic therapy was associated with clinical remission. So again, in in conclusion, TOFA effectiveness was observed in clinical response and in dose titration or withdrawal with methotrexate and PDN. My third pick of real-world data today is a poster from uh, the Gibovsky group, which assessed the effectiveness of UPTA at three months in a US uh, patient study This was taken from the UR-Nice database, uh, rather aptly named, I think. It's an observational study to assess characteristics of US-based RA patients. They looked at over 250 patients in this study, receiving UPTA and its effectiveness in clinical practice at three months. Outcome measures, including CDI and other disease activity measures, and also patient-reported outcomes. Patients treated with uh, TOFA previously had longer duration of rheumatoid disease and also higher steroid use. upta treated patients showed an improved disease activity scores and also improved uh, PROs after three months. And there was similar effectiveness seen in patients with or without prior uh, TOFA experience. As you would expect, there are a huge number of abstracts submitted uh, that focus on our clinical results in rheumatoid arthritis, as well as other indications. There were four posters in particular that caught my interest today, and I'd like to start with a study from the SELECT PSA 1 and 2 Phase 3 trials presented by Sornes and colleagues, which explored immunological pathway immodulation by up to 15 milligrams QD in PSA patients with active disease despite treatment with non-biologic or indeed biologic DMARDS in the context of clinical response versus non-response. This was also one of the chairman's picks for day one, and a presentation that is worth watching if you weren't able to see it live, I would highly recommend you uh, try and pick it up on the recording. This poster uh, looks at the proteomic analysis comparing the mode of action of UPTA between non-biologic DMARD inadequate responders and biologic DMARD inadequate responders, selected from the PSA SELECT 1 and SELECT 2 phase 3 studies. It is a post-hoc analysis of uh, immunologic pathway modulation by UPTA 15 mg QD in these patients looking at over 400 patients. the Key results show that UPTA resulted in down regulation of plasma protein biomarkers associated with T cells, myeloid cells, including interferon, IL-6 and TNF-related pathways in these patients. Overall, the effect of UPTA on single protein uh, biomarkers were broadly similar between the two groups of patients and it shows inhibition of multiple adaptive and innate immune biological pathways by up to treatment. The next pick was also one of the Chairman's highlights from the day and came from Baldi and colleagues. This group from Siena in Italy evaluated the short-term efficacy of baricitinib in reducing synovitis using ultrasound and also uh, clinometric perspectives. It showed a rapid response to Barry in patients with rheumatoid arthritis uh, who had an inadequate response to methotrexate and at least one biologic DMARD. So prospective study, a single center, looking at 30 rheumatoid arthritis patients and essentially evaluates the short-term efficacy of Barry four milligrams once daily in reducing synovitis. Outcome measures including the paradopter signal on ultrasound synovitis score, synovial hyperplasia, and also intrasynovial paradopter signal score, a number of patient-related outcomes, markers of inflammation, as well as physical examination and ultrasound. The key findings showed significant reductions in the patient VAS for pain, which is something we always like to see. Also the paradoplar ultrasound composite score was reduced. The overall paradoplar signal was reduced. Synovial hyperplasia was reduced, as well as uh, markers of uh, acute inflammation, including CRP and the ESR, in response to Barry four milligrams once daily. Markers of disease activity, such as the patient DAS28, CDI, and also SDI, were also significantly reduced. So this suggests that Barry is efficacious for up to six months with rapid onset of action and provides both clinical and ultrasound evidence of response to treatment with reduction in disease activity measures within the first few weeks of treatment. I also enjoyed the presentation from Dua and colleagues. Their poster uh, looked at data from the Corona registry looking at disease activity and patient reported outcomes after switching between an IL-6 receptor inhibitors and JAK inhibitors. This is an important consideration that I think will have a bearing on our clinical practice now and in the future. We look at this as a retrospective retrospective observational data and looking at over 260 patients switching from IL-6 receptor inhibitors to JAK inhibitors. They looked at patient reported outcomes, CDI, HAC, and a number of other individual uh, outcome measures. So the key results from this study, uh, focusing on the switching from JAK inhibitor to an IL-6 receptor inhibitor, this resulted in significant changes for all continuous outcomes, except for hack and fatigue. Whereas switching from an IL-6 receptor inhibitor to the JAK inhibitor resulted in significant improvement in the patient reported outcomes only. In both cohorts, patient achieved CDI uh, low disease activity and CDI remission, and also um, MCID across other PROs. So in conclusion, both JAK inhibitor and IL-6 receptor inhibitor therapies resulted in CDI low disease activity and uh, MCID across PROs in a substantial proportion of patients. My final pick of the clinical posters uh, looked at a Bayesian network meta-analysis, assessing the relative efficacy of different therapeutic strategies to achieve ACR50 response at 24 weeks. And this compares uh, the efficacy of com- combination therapy with biologic or targeted synthetic drugs for rheumatoid arthritis. As mentioned, it's a meta-analysis uh, at res- looking at ACR50 response at 24 weeks. They looked at over 6,000 patients. It included systematic reviews uh, from Medline, Embase, and Cochrane Library databases, looking at phase three randomized controlled trials, comparing adalimumab originator to its biosimilars, as well as uh, Bari, TOFA, and UPTA, combined with methotrexate. The key results from this large analysis showed that UPTA is more effective than both originator and biosimilar adalimumab in achieving an ACR50. Tofacitinib is more effective than originator adalimumab in achieving an ACR50. And UPTA ranked first on probability of more likely to induce an ACR50 response at 86%, suggesting that UPTA is actually uh, superior to adalimumab in effecting an ACR50 response in patients with active RA and an inadequate response to methotrexate. If we look at difficult to treat patients and uh, pain, which is of course uh, the symptom that preoccupies our patients uh, for most of the time and is is often seen as patients as the most troublesome symptom. There's a focus among many of the abstracts submitted to ULR this year on difficult to treat patients and pain. These are key issues that we encounter frequently in practice. So it's great to see such in-depth research on these topics at our Congress. There were two posters and one oral presentation from day one that I wanted to draw your attention to. The first is a poster presentation from Harano and colleagues, who undertook a retrospective cross-sectional study to evaluate the incidence rates of difficult-to-treat patients with RA in Japan. What they found was that just over 9% of patients met the criteria for difficult-to-treat RA, uh, having been treated with one or more biologic or targeted uh, synthetic DMARDs. 39% of patients uh, had difficult to treat RA as defined by uh, having failed two or more biologic or targeted synthetic DMARDs. And there were significant differences in the, R- in the disease duration of the RA patients in the different classes of disease. They found that RA patients uh, who were difficult to treat tended to be older, have significantly greater RA disease duration as we might expect, and also have uh, higher disease activity at the time of starting their biologic or their targeted synthetic DMARD. And they recommended uh, perhaps a, a change in the criteria Uh, for defining difficult to treat rheumatoid arthritis. So this really does give us uh, food for thought in this group of patients. Another great presentation came from Wilk and colleagues who looked at pain responses in rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and AXPAR. The objective was to explore if pain uh, catastrophizing score was associated with remission rates and the results were very interesting. They looked at over 580 rheumatoid patients, 390 PSA patients, and 225 AXPA patients in a clinic in Norway. They collected variables including demographics, treatment, disease duration, global pain, VAS, and a number of disease activity scores. What they found was that significantly fewer high pain catastrophizer patients reached remission compared with those low pain catastrophizers in rheumatoid arthritis and AXPA, but not in PSA. They found that the uh, PCS was independently associated with lower remission rates in RA and AXPA, but not in PSA. So a high patient PCS may reduce the likelihood of achieving remission in RA and AXPA patients. My final poster pick of the day comes from our chairman, uh, Professor Ian McInnes and colleagues. I mentioned the select PSA1 and PSA2 phase three studies previously at the beginning of this podcast. And this presentation came from the same program focused on the impact of UPTA on reducing pain in patients with active psoriatic arthritis. And this is important because, as you know, uh, there is a theory that the JAK inhibitors do uh, act on pain receptors centrally to reduce pain experiences in our patients. This analysis, uh, which was a post hoc analysis of the select PSA1 and PSA2 uh, studies, compared the efficacy of Upta versus placebo and Adalimumab on pain using different assessments in patients with PSA. The outcome measures, including uh, the PGA of pain, the MCID, BASDAI questions, and also SF36 questions, uh, in particular around bodily pain, and questions eight about pain interference. The key results from this study showed significantly more patients on UPTA than placebo achieved sustained improvements in most of their pain endpoints through to week 24 in addition up to significantly improved the change in pga for pain nrs for basdi spinal pain and for joint pain and swelling as well as the sf36 bodily pain and pain interference uh, scores at weeks 12 and 24. This suggests that in PSA patients with active disease, UPTA achieved rapid, significant, and clinically meaningful reductions in pain across multiple pain assessments. So turning now to industry-sponsored content, there were four symposia relevant to clinical signaling today, covering a variety of topics. The Pfizer-sponsored symposium examined JAK inhibitors in RA, what, where, how, why, and when. This was chaired by uh, Gerd Burmeister and uh, included presentations by uh, Liz Perkins, Hendrik Schultz-Koops, and Eileen Tan. The discussion covered the rationale for selecting JAK inhibitors. What have we learned about JAK inhibitors in RA and how they fit into the treatment paradigm? ABVI Symposium offered a practical guide to using JAK inhibitors in the the management of RA and SPA patients. Presentations from Maya Buch, Andrea Rupert Roth, and Andrew Oster, as well as Dr. Janet Pope. This symposium addressed a number of topics, including the emerging role of JAK inhibitors, understanding and managing infections, and understanding the benefits and the risks of JAK inhibitors in the treatment of RA and SBA patients. So Professor Roberto Caporali chaired the Lilly Symposium exploring global Illumiant experience in treating RA, different continents, different circumstances. Roberto was joined by Peter Taylor and Reiki Alton to look at the long-term treatment results and real-world experience of Illumiant in the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. Finally, Galapagos brought us the first of their two symposia, in Darwin's footsteps, continuing evolution of RA patient care as we adapt to a changing environment. Professor Laura Gosek was in the chair uh, in this symposium and was joined by Professor Peter Nash and Peter Taylor to discuss how outcomes for patients could be optimized in a more virtual world. So a busy day one at ULAR 2021 and great to see so much relevant cytokine signaling content here. I hope you've enjoyed this roundup of day one. If you haven't done so, you can download our ULAR 2021 highlights brochure from uh, cytokinesignaling.com to see the abstracts that we've selected for you for the whole of the Congress, along with uh, our Chairman Ian McInnes' picks. Elena Nikiforu will be with you tomorrow to discuss the highlights from day two. All that remains for me to say is thank you for joining me today to cover day one highlights, and please do enjoy day two. Bye for now.